Welcome to the Tech Cat Show with host Lori H. Schwartz. Each week we hear from established leaders in the technology and consumer industry. Finding out the scoop should never be this much fun. Now, here is your host, Lori H. Schwartz. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Tech Cat Show. And we are continuing our series on the road to infinity, which is the Road to the Infinity Festival happening in Hollywood in October, where we're talking to a variety of advisors and experts who are all about advancing storytelling by technology. And so in today's show, I'm really excited to have Anshul Sag, who is a Moore's Insight and Strategy Analyst. Um, He's actually their in-house millennial, which I love that. And he was previously editor-in-chief and co-founder for The Bright Side of News, which was a top 20,000 Comcast website focused on technology. And Angela is one of those folks that really understands how all of these different technology trends are impacting consumers. And that's why so many of his clients are all the top uh, consumer electronics companies because they all want to understand what's happening. And that also includes entertainment companies and brands. So Angela, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me, Lori, for the for the introduction as well. Yeah, you're welcome. I know, it's always like, I wish my family was hearing this. Um, <laughs> so I know you are a very sought-after analyst, so maybe give us a little sense of your background and how you came to, at such a young age, be sort of at the center of this storm around technology, content, and consumer behaviors. So I've always been interested in technology. Um, I started out in technology at a very young age, thanks to the internet age. Um, I am basically a product of the internet age. Uh, I had my first PC when I was about five, um, and I had an internet connection pretty quickly short thereafter. Um, My parents were pretty good at making sure I didn't see too much objectionable content at a young age, but um, unfortunately, the internet in the early days was not a very uh, safe place for kids. So... um, I've just kind of grown up with the internet and I, you know, built my first computer when I was 11. Um, I, you know, got into the smartphone trend before they were called smartphones. Um, I actually had a uh, pocket PC is what they were calling them. They're running windows mobile five. And uh, I would actually do my homework on my phone because I had a keyboard. Um, So I was a very tech-forward child from a very young age, Um, and then I um, kind of took my love of computer hardware and turned it into a job um, doing community management um, for a graphics card company, EVGA, and then I ended up actually doing some uh, customer support and technical service for them once I turned 18. Um, but at the same time, I was also working in at an electronics prototype design firm in San Diego here um, since I was 16. So I was doing a lot of, you know, ground level work uh, on electronics at a very young age. And I learned a lot in a very short period of time. And then uh, I helped co-found Brightside of News, uh, which I ran for about five years. And yeah, I, I kind of just gained a lot of experience very quickly. Um, I worked multiple jobs at the same time, didn't waste my time. And it helped me gain a lot of knowledge about, you know, what the market likes and doesn't like and being able to identify market trends in advance. 
Um, because, you know, when you're running a publication, you kind of have to know what's coming before it becomes a thing. So you can, you know, start getting hits for it. And, um, I also, you know, interface a lot with the community. So I always understood what the community wants and I kind of blended my community and, you know, being an editor and then also having practical experience and, and in tech hardware. So it's kind of a unique blend of experiences all before I uh, turned 30. So, well, um, I'm, kind of I, 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 hate, I hate how together you are at such a young age, but at the same time, <laughs> it's awesome to have you in my ecosystem. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about Brightside of News for a minute. And because where you and I met, we met at Seagraph, um, which is a, a, a big conference um, focused on technology, but from a different perspective, more from the academic perspective. But we met online mm-hmm. at a keynote to NVIDIA. This was about a year ago. And so you're part of your role in the world, even after Brightside, is going to all these shows and sort of taking in the information and then writing about it both for the industry and also reporting back to it for your clients. So how do you determine what to go to and when to be at something? Because there's so many different things going on. So have you narrowed in your sort of technology overview? Yeah, I mean, so I do attend a lot of conferences throughout the year. And it is a big part of my job is assessing what is and what isn't worth going to. Um, And I find that, you know, there's a couple conferences a year that are generally better fit for me than others. For example, I've never been to Penny Arcade Expo, which is more of like a gaming expo. Um, And I've always wanted to go. But in my current role, I don't see it as a practical attendance. It's more of a fun thing to do. Um, For me, the, the most practical uh, conferences to attend are GDC and SIGGRAPH um, because GDC and SIGGRAPH both address a very large portion of the market and they're very forward looking. So a lot of the things that get announced at those two conferences uh, are likely to influence uh, the way the industry will go for the you know next two to three years, if not further out. Um, I also go to CES every single year. I've actually been going to CES for either 10 or 11 years straight now. Um, I also go to Computex um, because Computex is basically the entire PC ecosystem. Um, so most of the PC industry will will stagger their launches between Computex and CES. So I have those bases covered. And then uh, SIGGRAPH, and GDC cover all the graphics stuff that I do. And then the last one is MWC, which is what all the mobile stuff I cover. So MWC Barcelona is usually a good one to go to. That's what I try to go to every year. And then um, there's also uh, MWC Shanghai, which I've never been to. But that's because the Chinese market's important to me, but not important enough for me to go to Shanghai in the summer. And then um, MWC Americas I went to last year. And I think I'm going to again this year. But if it wasn't in LA, I probably wouldn't go because it's so it wouldn't be as convenient for me. Right, um, right, right. But uh, the only other shows are all vendor shows. So like you know, there's Dell EMC World. Um, there's uh, Qualcomm's 5G Summit. Um, there's like Nvidia's GPU Technology Conference. 
um, you know, there's like a bunch of different, you know, individual vendor conferences that exist as well. Um, and those are, you know, a lot of those are my clients. Um, but, you know, I also attend tons of launches and those are all pretty much based on my experience. Uh, another good one is actually ARM's uh, TechCon that's coming up later in the year. And that's because ARM has their, their hands in so many different things that, you know, they have a very broad and encompassing uh, conference that kind of lets you go on the path that you want to go on. Oh, interesting. What a great um, overview of sort of the strategy behind um, some of these shows. So it's it's um, the end of uh, the summer of 2019, and so some of these shows have already happened. Are there some trends, um, insights that you've picked up along the way this year that you think are significant that you can share with us, like things that really pop out for you? Absolutely. Um, I think the one thing that a lot of people might be missing um, and some people started catching on to it. And this started kind of last year at Cigarette and has kind of come full circle and is in full momentum now. And that's uh, the resurgence of VR, um, but it's not as, in a, as a consumer technology, but as a enterprise technology. Um, right, right, right. Okay, yep. Enterprise VR has been a thing for a while. Um, and I actually wrote about it last year after SIGGRAPH, talking about how enterprise VR is going to be the next phase of VR. And I actually wrote a very comprehensive um, piece in January that kind of predicted what will happen in 2019 and 2020 for both AR and VR. And so far, I've been spot on. And basically, the way I see it is enterprise VR is taking over because, uh, you know, the enterprises that are utilizing it are seeing immediate ROI. And for them, it doesn't even matter what the cost is as long as they get the ROI out of it. And a good example of that is actually Walmart's CEO. Um, he was being interviewed about the uh, shooting in El Paso. And he said that, you know, if it weren't for VR training, they would have not saved as many lives as they did because wow. they actually have a VR training um piece of, you know, content that they're basically using to train their employees on how to deal with an active shooter situation. And, huh. you know, they're able to actually, that's the real beauty of VR is you're able to train people for a scenario that doesn't usually happen and is very difficult to recreate in the real world. But if you train people to how to deal with it, in VR, they're prepared for when it actually happens. So, for example, UPS has a, uh, a VR system that is training their drivers how to avoid accidents when an accident occurs or as one, you know, is driving and something might happen. It teaches them how to drive their vehicle in a way that trains them to avoid an accident, which then in turn saves the company money on insurance. So there's tons of applications like this. It's just I could go on for hours talking about it. And, and that's really why it's such a big deal, because all these companies are realizing that when you train people, it's much better to train them in VR because it's more immersive and people feel like they're retaining it more because it feels more realistic. Hmm. Right, right. That totally makes sense. And were you at, I must have seen you at Augmented World Expo, which is a show you didn't mention, but um, you can you can obviously see all of the where Enterprise is sitting at that show. Um, yeah. was that a so, 
I have I have a little bit of a beef with them. Yeah. Um, they sure. they constantly keep scheduling it at the exact same time as Computex, oh, and right. I cannot physically be in Taipei and San Jose at the same time. Um, <laughs> I, well, I'm sure of anyone who's going to figure it out, you are. You're going to figure out how to virtually be in both places at one time. <laughs> I mean, it would be cool if I could, but like Computex is so crazy that like I have a hard time being just at Computex. Um, but yeah, I would love to go to AWE. I've actually, you know, I still stay abreast of it. I still get pre-briefed on all the announcements because I'm so involved in the XR community. I already knew a lot of the big announcements that were coming. So I didn't necessarily have to be there, but it would be nice to be there and to, you know, see things in person. Um, you know, I, I have, you know, uh, some of the most recent announced, uh, smart glasses. So I have the focals by North. And I have the form AR swim goggles, among all the other things that I have. Um, oh, well, so that's I'm, good. you I'm probably have like testing, like a, a house filled with with the latest tech, huh? Yes, which is why it's it's good that I uh, I have you know storage and <laughs> cameras <laughs> for security's sake. Yeah, no, I'm in. I'm the same way. I buy a lot of. Well, I buy a lot of stuff. I'm sure. I'm sure you get sent it. We're gonna have to take a break in a moment, but I love that you've identified uh, this sort of enterprise VR as one of the bigger trends that you've seen um, emerging um, over the, the the last six months. So what's what's another another one um, that you've just seen pop up? So another trend that I'm seeing is um, more and more people are starting to experiment with AR on smartphones. Okay. Um, so the, the thing is, is that the current headsets that exist for AR today are either enterprise only or they are consumer products, but they are essentially smart glasses, which are just essentially a heads-up display built into glasses. Um, it's not the same as having a true augmented reality headset. So... Um, and I think, you know, having a, a pair of smart glasses that operate like a smartwatch, essentially, but on your face, are better than I thought they would be. I have the uh, Focals by North, and those are custom fitted to your face. And most people don't even realize that they're smart glasses, which is the whole point. Right, and right, right. It has so many capabilities that I can actually walk down the street, control my music with it, and also send text messages read emails, see my notifications, uh, you know, go through my to-do list. Um, so there's a lot of functionality that's gaining very quickly, and I'm very happy with them. And I think a lot of people um, should check out the Focals by North if they can. It's just they're not really marketing themselves right now, and I think it's because they're afraid of what would happen if demand was too high, which it already is. Yeah, um, yeah. And they're probably waiting for their second-generation headset. Um, but... I, I'm really excited for a lot of this AR tech. Um, I just think a lot of people are a little bit overly optimistic like they were with VR and, um, they need to temper their expectations because the AR optics problem is even more challenging than the VR optics problem. All right, Angel, we're going to be back um, in a moment. We've been talking to Angel Sag, who's Moore's Insight Strategies in-house millennial, um, and just, uh, you know, the person to go to to understand how all of these different technology trends are impacting consumers and how to make um, the best uh, 
you know, business decisions around that. So we're going to be back on the Tech Cut Show on the road to the Infinity Festival with Anshul Sag in a moment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform. Innovate. Create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to lori at techcat.tv. That's lori at techcat.tv. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Tech Cat Show. And we are hearing some great insights about the latest technology trends from Anshul Sag, who is a analyst at Moore's Insight and Strategy. And I just love the title in-house millennial, so I want to keep saying it um, because uh, he's kind of a boy genius when it comes to technology and trends and how they're impacting things. So you were just filling us in on some of the big trends from all the different shows that you go to and report on for your clients. You were talking about VR Enterprise and then AR on on mobile phones um, and some of the great Uh glasses by North. What are some of the other uh, trends that you've noticed bubbled up in the last six months that you think are going to be significant? So an interesting trend that I'm seeing is obviously one that everyone else is seeing as well, which is 5G. Um, I've been covering 5G since before most people have known that it exists. And I am a very technical person, so I like to know all the technical details behind the technology. And for me, 5G is really interesting because everyone, um, you know, there's people who are kind of already poo-pooing 5G. Um, There's a lot of, like, hesitance around 5G because of misinformation about one, what the fundamentals of the technology are, and two, because there are certain um, entities that serve to kind of question technological progress, partially because they're behind. Um, But the reality is that 5G is going to change the way everybody uses pretty much everything. Um, And and fundamentally, uh, you know, 5G is a technology that, changes the way we communicate with each other and with our devices. And 5G is not just faster, higher frequency radio. 5G is essentially changing the way the entire cellular network is built and will will change, you know, uh, the cloud infrastructure. It will change the carrier's coverage map, the way they, you know, 
talk about coverage will change. Uh, the way they talk about speeds will change. Um, and I think the, the big deal and the real thing that very few people are talking about and will ultimately change the way everything works in the future is going to be network slicing. Um, and network slicing is a very boring technology from a technical perspective because what it does is it takes the infrastructure that the operators have, like AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile, and Sprint, and what it does is it virtualizes their entire network into a software-defined network so that then they can start creating layers of their network based on the types of devices that are connected to it. Because previously, it was just phones, and that's kind of what everybody's used to. But with 5G, anything and everything will be connected to the 5G network. And because of that, you have to start creating these different service layers for different types of devices. And what that does is it increases and improves the experience for all types of devices, but it also doesn't give them more spectrum, more speed, or more latency than it needs. So that way you can fine-tune the, the connectivity experience for each device based on what it needs. And that way you can actually utilize more of the network efficiently so the operator is able to make more money using the same amount of spectrum. And everybody who has devices will also be able to use these devices in a less costly manner, but also optimized for what they're doing. And because of that, you're going to start seeing these kinds of services where somebody sells you a phone, but they also sell you connectivity as a bundled price, which is kind of the way things are now. But you're going to start seeing that with, you know, you know, let's say a VR headset, they bundle connectivity with the VR headset and they possibly even bundle services because a lot of these operators now have their own content delivery, right? So, you know, AT&T owns Warner Brothers and Verizon has their own content and so does T-Mobile. So you're going to have TV services that are bundled with, you know, headsets or with smartphones. So you're going to start seeing a lot of bundling of service with hardware and it's going to really come to fruition because of network slicing because they've now reduced the cost that it, that they have to actually pay for the connectivity because they've optimized it so much with network slicing. So what will how will a consumer know what they're buying because I think it's already pretty confusing for for your average joe and when we look at what's happening with Disney coming out with Plus and um, Warner Media and sort of this right. reorging of these big, large media entities all having their own streaming boxes. Will that be competing with the bundles you're talking about or will those bundles no. be decided? No, so I think that's kind of like a, that's a half step to where we're, go where we're going to be. The way I see it is um, what you'll have in the future is a good example will be Disney Plus. In the yeah. future, Disney Plus in theory, would be something that you pay for once and you get everywhere. So you do pay for Disney Plus, and that includes the tablet, that includes the connectivity. But let's say you pay 20 bucks a month and that they give you a tablet that has Disney Plus preloaded pre on it, but that also has the connectivity on there. So when you think about Disney Plus, you think of it as an application experience and nothing more, but it it allows you to have that application experience everywhere you go on every device you own. Got it. I hope they know so that. 
<laughs> right. But you, Everyone, I would say, you know, out of, out of all the companies I work with, I think Disney seems to have the most uh, forward-looking understanding of 5G. Really? Because, because of, of um, what, what reasoning? Is that because if you see how they're bundling Disney Plus or what, what's your reasoning for that? Because I've, I've, I've heard them talk about 5G and they seem to understand it best out of all the studios. Interesting. But I think Warner Brothers will have a big advantage in the future now that they're part of the AT&T uh, family. Got it. Got it. It's but interesting yeah, I, to think, I, think about it like that. To, to who's who's who understands all of this better, and then how will it impact oh yeah. ultimately what comes down the pipeline to the to the consumer? Well, you're going to have to make as a company, and all these companies are very large now, so they're going to have to make you know some bets and investments long term to anticipate these market realities that are coming to fruition in five to ten years. Because the reality is. 5G is just starting out. You know, the networks have just launched this year. So we're year, we're year zero. We're not even year one. We're year zero. So there's a lot more room for 5G to grow. And my, I'm, I am a 5G, you know, uh, you could almost say 5G evangelist. But the, the way I look at it is you're not going to see the real 5G experience until we have standalone 5G networks, which is an entirely different discussion because uh, 5G networks that you have today are non-standalone. What that means is that non-standalone networks, they basically utilize what existing 4G infrastructure exists today, and they kind of just bolt on 5G wireless connectivity to the end of it, but it's mostly still 4G infrastructure. Standalone 5G is full end-to-end -end 5G infrastructure, which means from your phone to the cloud is all 5G, and that's not the way it is today. So there's still a lot of room for improvement and lots of investment that still has to occur, and everybody's going non-standalone much now. They're kind of just rolling it out now, and then in the next two to three years, you'll start seeing standalone 5G networks, which are really what's going to, you know, deliver on the promises that 5G has been giving consumers, you know, since the beginning. So we're, we're in the very beginning phases of 5G, and it's going to be a multi-year rollout. Do you, do you think um, that consumers need to understand that standalone versus non-standalone, because is it going to impact their purse and their experiences, and should... The, should the big yeah. um, telcos be marketing an understanding of all this, or is it better just to kind of ignore it? Well, the, the truth is, is that in the operator's um, best interest, they wouldn't want to talk about standalone versus non-standalone, because then people are going to be like, well, I'm just going to wait for the standalone network then, right? So they don't, and they don't want people to do that. They want people to invest in 5G as soon as possible um, so they can start making money off of their investments. Um, but the reality is consumers should be educated on the difference between standalone and non-standalone. So their expectations are tampered to what the reality will be. Got it, got it, got it. I mean, I also, can, can you explain a little bit about how in order for 5G to work, you have to actually be able to see the tower, like you have to be sort of near near it physically. Is is so, that correct? So that's a common misconception. 
Yeah. So um, there's three different types of 5G that will coexist and all be called 5G. When you look on your phone, it'll say 5G. The three different types are millimeter wave, mid-band, and low-band. Millimeter wave currently is described as 28 gigahertz or 39 gigahertz. Mid-band is anything from about 3.5 gigahertz to 6 gigahertz. And low-band is basically what we're currently using on our cellular networks today. Now, what does that mean? The difference in bands effectively allows you to have different types of radio um, behavior because radio signals follow the laws of physics. So the higher frequency is going to give you higher speeds but less coverage, but it does bounce. So it doesn't go through walls. It bounces off walls. Mid-band does not have as good of coverage, but it still has pretty good speeds, and low-band has great coverage but okay speeds. So low band is most likely to have similar speeds to what we currently experience on our cellular networks today with maybe a 20 to 30% performance boost, possibly more depending on how much spectrum they have. Mid band is gonna be a big improvement in terms of in terms of actual speeds and coverage will still be pretty good. So you're gonna see you know, up to a gig to a gig and a half. And then millimeter wave is currently the one that has bad coverage but we'll have better coverage once they start figuring out all the bouncing. And that's going to be two gigs and beyond in terms of speeds. So you have a different, you have, you know, three different types of spectrum that are all going to be blended together as one 5G. And that's why there's a lot of misconceptions about 5G coverage because Sprint just launched their 5G network in three or four cities yesterday, and it has great coverage. So it really comes down to what kind of radios they're using and what they have right now. The reality is long-term, everybody's probably gonna use all three and that's gonna take you know, a long time to actually build out. So what you're seeing today is some companies are rolling out the millimeter wave like Verizon is and T-Mobile. And then in the future, they're gonna have low band. And then today you have a lot of the European carriers and Sprint rolling out their lower band stuff and that's got coverage, but the speeds are not as fast, depending on what their spectrum holdings are. God, that's such a great, succinct uh, description uh, of all of it. So so for uh, uh, people that are doing events, corporate events, any kind of event, and they want to demonstrate 5G, which has been happening a lot this year, I see them bring in you know, it looks like a tower, you know, not, not easy, you know, you physically can carry it and they stick it on top of the building. So wh- what mm-hmm. is, what is that? Is that the, the low band, the mid band, or is it not, you can't think about it like that. It could be anything. Yeah. It's hard to know. Um, most likely if they're sticking a cell site there, it's probably going to be millimeter wave just because if it wasn't, they would just probably bolt it onto whatever infrastructure they already have. So by adding the 5G, it's because they don't already have it there. So it's most likely going to be a millimeter wave antenna. Um, but you can actually look at the size of the antennas and tell because millimeter wave antennas are smaller um, because when you have shorter radio waves, you don't need as big of an antenna. So a lot of these 5G antennas are very small and they have a lot of antenna elements on them so they can do beam forming and they can steer the millimeter wave signal towards your device. 
to give you the fastest possible speeds. Um, the lower band radios are going to have longer antennas, so they're going to be larger. That's just the laws of physics. Um, and that's why I'm kind of excited for something like T-Mobile's 5G network because they're actually currently, they, they surprise everybody because they launched a millimeter wave network first, like in New York City. Um, but they're, they're actually the ones that have the 600 megahertz network, um, which is very low frequency. And when they launch that on 5G, it'll pretty much have nationwide coverage almost from the get-go. And nobody's going to be able to claim that except for them because 600 megahertz carries very far and it penetrates extremely well. So T-Mobile is going to be the first network that's going to be able to give you, you know, 5G signal inside of an elevator shaft. Huh. Well, we have to take a, a break, um, but you've been blowing my mind um, just because you're explaining it in a simple way that everyone can wrap their head around it. We've been talking to Anshul Sag. He's an analyst at Moore's Insight and Strategy. He's their in-house millennial, and he knows everything about everything. <laughs> and we're going to be back in a moment on the Tech Cat Show to wrap our heads around some more trends as we are heading on the road to the Infinity Festival happening in Hollywood in November, the latest on storytelling and technology here on the Tech Cat Show. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform, innovate, create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to lori at techcat.tv. That's lori at techcat.tv. All right, and we are back on the Tech Cat Show with Anshul Sag. Um, he's an analyst at Moore's Insight and Strategy. We've been talking about 5G and uh, VR Enterprise and also AR. Um, Anshul goes to a lot of shows to have a bigger understanding of all the trends happening in technology. And I was wondering if you could weave some of this Hollywood piece to, into it as we're um, kind of gathering under this big Hollywood and storytelling umbrella when it comes to this festival and all the great people like yourself that we're talking to who are going to be speaking at this event. Um, it's just such a gathering of all of, the, of these experts. And so I'm just wondering, all these things happening, how do you think they're really going to impact what's happening to all the studios and networks and what's going to ultimately impact how we tell stories? 
Absolutely. Um, I, I think the biggest change is really going to come from 5G. Um, we're already seeing it happen with, with VR. Um, I believe the majority of Lion King was, was uh, you know, pre and edited in VR because there's no real live actors or, or film to review. So, uh, you know, I think it's already, VR is already changing the way narratives are, are, are you know, being told. Um, but I think 5G is going to change the pace by which movies are made um, and stories are told um, because I think you're going to start seeing a lot of 5G enabling quicker production um, processing. You're going to have, you know, people able to send a drone out to a site and do a, a site review before any people ever actually go there. So you can send, you know, one person with a drone instead of an entire team to do a site assessment. Um, so I think there's a lot of little things here and there that are going to accelerate, you know, people's ability to create and, and share. Because, you know, today, you know, the Internet has really done a great job of democratizing content creators and giving them an opportunity to have an audience. Um, but I think there's going to be a really big component of, you know, what's happening today with live broadcasts. I think that's only going to increase. I think 5G is going to really improve that because uh, 5G has better upload speeds and more, you know, having more speed on upload means higher quality, you know, more stable live connections. Because today, you know, a lot of people do these live broadcasts, but, you know, the quality still suffers and it's not consistent. And I think consistency is extremely important when it comes to content creation. And um, I think you're going to see a lot more people utilizing 5G to essentially broaden their audience, but also speed up the pace and reduce the cost that it, that it takes to build something and, and, and share it with everyone. Uh, that's a really good point. And of course, um, the Lion King comes up a lot right now in all of these discussions about technology and storytelling. And one question I've been asking um, a lot of um, our experts, you know, is do you think that you have to be a tech wizard in order to be a director, um, a filmmaker in today's Hollywood? You know, is it imperative to have a, a sense of the technology to dig into it? Or, or can you be on the side of it? You know, how much do you have to engage right now in order to, to play in this world? So uh, I think a, a good director should be aware of the technology that they have accessible to them. However, a good director should also have a good advisor that helps them identify what technologies are best for them. So I don't think, you know, the way I see it is a good director either has a good person that helps them identify the right technologies for what works best, or they should be already exploring them on their own to improve their, you know, their ability to, to tell a narrative. Um, but yeah, I think it comes down to someone in the, in the chain needs to be educated and have influence in the process. Because I think, you know, there's a lot of new technology in the industry today. And, you know, there's people who are staying abreast of it and there are people who aren't. And I think the reality is, is that the people who are staying abreast of it are giving themselves a much more long-term um, chance of having viability when those technologies get adopted because they're already using them. Um, I think, you know, stuff like game engines being used for film 
uh, you know, was a thing that happened a few years ago, but now it's becoming a much more common thing. And I think that's only going to grow because of the flexibility that those engines are giving, you know, directors. Um, and I think that there's, there's always going to be an important angle that technology has in storytelling. Um, but I think that I don't, you know, I think a great storyteller doesn't need technology to tell a great story, but I think technology helps them tell it um, in a way that gives them less focus on the things that don't matter and, and lets those things be handled by technology and gives them more flexibility to really, you know, run with their ideas. And that's why I've always been so, you know, um, pro VR because I, you know, the first time I tried VR, I realized that VR allows creative individuals to really express themselves in virtually any way they want. Because with VR, you know, your, ima your imagination is effectively the limit of what you can create. And that's why I think, you know, creatives are really starting to latch on to VR. And they have been since the beginning, but it's accelerating. And I think if you look at VR today, with the exception of enterprise, most of it's very highly creative, you know, narratives that are being told by people in the way they want to tell them. And I, I think that's great because down the road, I think VR is going to become one of those, those mediums that highly creative people choose to, to use because it doesn't limit their creativity. Huh. That's a, another interesting way to look at it. I mean, it was certainly overhyped for a long time, and now it sort of seems to be settling into the sort of right right um, discussions about it. Um, and and for you, has anything surprised you this year? I mean, because you do you you are an analyst and you are someone who's predicting the future. But has anything surprised you? I think what really surprised me was actually SIGGRAPH this year. There were there was a surprisingly high amount of VR at SIGGRAPH um, because, you know, we're no longer in a VR hype cycle. I think everybody agrees with that. Um, and the fact that there was so much VR at SIGGRAPH tells me that VR is no longer a hype cycle technology, but more of a, like, there's things that can be done and things are being done and people are realizing this and implementing it. And that's why I think it's so great because VR is starting to really come into its own, even though nobody's talking about it. But that's kind of how a great technology takes off because people are just doing it as opposed to talking about it. Huh, and that's another great way way to look at it. Uh, and, and in terms of um, you at the Infinity Festival, you're going to be surrounded by a lot of your clients. You're going to be talking about 5G and sort of real-world um, case studies, um, you know, do you think we'll still be talking about this a year from now or will be, we be on to other technology trends or because 5G is sort of a long rollout according to the way that you laid it out, um, is this a subject we're just going to be banging on forever? I, I think so. I, I think it's going to continue to evolve and I think you're going to see it change, but we're still going to be talking about it well into the future. And Angel, who do you read to be, you know, to get some insights from? Do you have any anybody that you follow or that you really respect out there that, you know, you're learning from? Um, I pretty much follow 
everybody. Uh, if you look at my <laughs> Twitter following, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of you know good journalists out there. Um, I follow a lot of I also follow a lot of business uh, publications. So I read a lot of FT. Uh, I read a lot of The Economist. Um, most of what I read is not directly related to um, the tech world. So I, I obviously read most of the publications that I follow as well. So like I read The Verge, um, I read CNET, I read most of the Android publications, uh, most of the Apple ones. I, I pretty much read everything. But, but, but my thing is, is that I am a very highly technical person. So I am usually briefed on the latest technologies. Um, and I and I know most of it, but I also do my best to understand the way the world works. And I'm always trying to understand how daily, you know, changes to the world are affecting the technologies that I'm covering. Right. That's a really good way to look at it, too, because um, it's not just about the tech, but you also just have to understand the overall culture and, and what's happening mm -hmm. in our culture. And, and where can we where can we follow you? Can you tell us all the different places that you're publishing? Yeah, so I uh, primarily write on Forbes. Uh, I also write on Upload VR. Um, I think we also have some publishing rights with um, VentureBeat. Um, but I'm also pretty much all over the place. I've been on IEEE. Uh, I'm, I'm a kind of a gun for hire when it comes to writing. Um, but my primary source of my, you know, what's what's coming out of my brain is on Twitter. So my Twitter handle is just Anshel Sog. And uh, I also uh, write sometimes on LinkedIn. Um, and I also have my own YouTube channel for stuff that I, you know, when I go to conferences, I upload a lot of stuff to my YouTube channel. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of it. I, I also, you know, will periodically show up on CNET and uh, CNBC. I get quoted on all the major tech publications as an analyst. So uh, it's kind of sometimes where you can see my thoughts as well. And, and um, you know, my last round of questions for you is, you know, is it necessary to go to all of these things and be involved in all of this to keep up with all of this? Um, and is this something for someone your age or, or um, you think is this a demographic phenomena to have this connection to technology? You know, is it millennials and below that are really always going to be the early adopters into this or do you see other behaviors emerging? Uh, I think the younger generations are always the ones that are going to be the quickest to adopt new technology. Um, you know, for example, TikTok, I'm on there, but I don't use it much. But, you know, younger kids are basically living on TikTok. So, you know, I think age is a factor in terms of willingness to quickly adopt new technologies. Um, I push myself to, to continue that. Um, I've always been the kind of person that always, you know, tries out the newest thing. Um, so I'm less likely to be part of that, you know, audience that's older and not less likely, but I think age always is a big factor in people's um, willingness to adopt technology. And I also think curiosity is a big factor. Curiosity about like what, what it's going to be or what, how it's going to impact you or things like that. I think just general curiosity. I think people that are more curious um, are more likely to try out new things, even if they don't quite understand them. Obviously, an interest in technology is important, but I think some people are more 
inclined or more interested in technology than others. And that's just a personality trait, I think. Um, but I personally have always been curious about technology and I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. That's so cool and a great note to end on. We have been talking to Anshul Sag, more insights and strategies analyst, their in-house millennial, again, my favorite expression, and someone to just keep close to you in his Twitter feeds and his Forbes articles and everywhere he is, Anshul Sag, um, who knows everything about everything <laughs> when it comes to technology and how it's going to impact us. Thank you so much for being on the Tech Cat Show, and we look forward to hearing what you have to say at the Infinity Festival happening in November in Hollywood. Um, I know you're going to be talking more about what we can expect um, with 5G rolling out and how it's going to impact Hollywood. So we're excited to get to talk to you today. Thank you very much for having me, Lori. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week with another expert advisor, someone brilliant like Anshul, filling us in on the latest. Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Cat Show. Please join Lori H. Schwartz again for another great program next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel and syndicated to the Voice America Women's Channel. 